So we've been studying the book of Judges together as a church family, and we are uh, up to the last judge, the 12th judge, whose name is Samson. And we're getting, uh, there are several chapters on Samson, and we're at the beginning of the end of the account of Samson. Our scripture our sermon text is going to be Judges 16, 1 through 3, and that's uh, the first of a final three episodes that we read about in Samson's life. But our scripture reading is going to start before that with Judges 15, verse 14. Um, and before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for uh, the blessing of worship. Thank you for blessing us uh, always with one day and seven to gather with your people. Thank you for the special sign and seal of your promises uh, in the baptism of trip, uh, a, a reminder and an assurance uh, for every one of us, O oh God, that you are always faithful to your promises. Thank you, O oh God, that we could celebrate that together in worship today in a special way. And now we ask your blessing as we seek to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're beginning at Judges 15, um, beginning at verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Um, as he, and that's Samson, approached Lehi, he had just been um, tied up with new ropes by his own people, and they're delivering him over to the Philistines. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And then Samson said, with the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And when he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramathlehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Which for then was a, a, just another word for unbelievers. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and the, the, the water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. And so the spring was called Enhakore, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And then our focus uh, is for today are these three verses. Uh, chapter 16. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. And so they surround the place, surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. And they made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. And then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose bar and all, and he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. That's God's word for us this morning. Um, 
So, if I were to ask uh, you guys, to ask uh, any, any Christian, do you want the truth of God's word applied to real life? I think you would say yes. Do you want illustrations that make our faith practical for us? I think we'd all say absolutely. If you think about it, that's what is happening, you know, in all these accounts, these stories in the Old Testament. In our verses today, too, we have a real-life story. Granted, it's from a long time ago, but a real-life illustration of biblical truth. And the Old Testament is just filled with those. Um, And and to best understand those three verses, uh, we read the end of 15, um, which we could say shows us that God's faithfulness is abundant. And that's where we're going to start this morning. God's faithfulness is abundant. In most, we're, so we're going to do a little bit of a, a review of chapters 14 and 15, but really quick to show this point that climaxes at the end of 15. We saw a lot in those chapters of disobedience on Samson's part. He was hanging out with the the Philistines. These were the enemies of God's people in that day, and they were unbelievers. And and so he was on the wrong path. And uh, like we described it once, he was dancing along that long fuse that runs through history that would lead eventually to eternal destruction. Samson was always playing with fire. And and I say that about Samson, but you know what? You and I know something of playing with fire in our lives too, don't we? we? We're not pretending we don't. Samson wants to marry a non-believer, and, and that was a, a lot like a lot of God's people in those days, and, and it showed their tendency to cozy up to the world. Uh, but we know that never goes well, and that does not go well in Samson's life either. Um, it, we also read how flippant Samson was about God's special call on his life and his special revelation to him. Um, Because he makes up this riddle about the lion, about the honey, and bet his Philistine groomsmen that they wouldn't be able to guess the riddle. They pressure Samson's uh, wife that he just married to get the answer. Samson is very angry about this. He kills 30 Philistines, takes off their clothes, gives them to those 30 groomsmen to pay off the bet. Then... There's other crazy stuff that happens, right? He ties foxtails together, 150 pair of foxes, puts a torch in the tails, sets them loose. They're going nuts, of course, and they totally destroy and burn the Philistine harvest. The Philistines get him back by burning his wife and her father to death. He gets revenge by killing a bunch of them. Then 3,000 men of Judah capture Samson. They tie him up with rope. They give him over to the Philistines. And so God's people were so complacent 
in that day that instead of rallying uh, behind Samson to fight their enemies, to take up arms like God would have wanted them to do because he wanted them to drive the world, drive evil out of the land of Israel. But instead, they're apparently fine with living under enemy rule to the extent that they turn over to the enemy the one guy who had a shot at driving them out. After all of that, that little portion of the end of 15 that that we read once again, uh, we get one of the, the number of but God moments in the Bible. And it's yet another example at the end of 15 how God comes in when we're at the end of our rope. Even if it may be our fault, like it certainly was Samson's fault, that we're in this terrible, bad situation we find ourselves in in life. After, um, so what we see is he sends his spirit. Three, there are three things that happen at the end of 15. God sends his spirit in power, so Samson's rope break off of him, and he can kill a thousand of the enemy with the bone of a donkey. God also sends his refreshment to his servant. Water from a rock uh, when Samson is totally exhausted after the battle and when he calls out to God for help. Then God also sends his peace. We read that Samson leads Israel for 20 years. Now, if you know something of the Bible and the Old Testament especially, a typical nice full number of years in the Bible is 40. So it's not like this was a full lasting peace. But 20 years of peace ain't bad. And, and so we see that God's faithfulness is abundant. Despite it all, despite our covenant shortcomings, although we break our relationship with him in so many ways, although we do, he doesn't let us go. He's so gracious, he's so generous. He also sends you and me his power, his refreshment, his peace. Haven't we experienced that? Haven't you experienced that? I think of... um, Matt's alone now, but I I think of Tripp and this family of three boys. What a blessing. God is so good. And I know we just, we don't have to, you know, I know what it's like little kids day by day. It can be kind of rough and tiring. They're not always angels. To us, they are. We just see them here. And I know despite the challenges of, of raising little children, you know that and you and Allie feel that. What a blessing. What a blessing. God's so good. And um, I think, too, of uh, Jackson Beastboer was born uh, just a little over a week ago. And you may not know this or remember this, but uh, when their oldest was born, things were very challenging. It was very touch and go for a while. And so for things to have gone Really quite well with Jackson is just a, a tremendous blessing, such a relief to Josh and Kim and the family, and we praise God with them for his abundant grace, providing a second healthy child to that family. Um, and 
you know, even for people like us, who, let's face it, we sometimes like to dance with the devil, God still deals with us for Jesus' sake. And I was talking about good times and blessings with the sours and the beast wars, but even in the midst of life, and you know this, life doesn't always rain down blessings. Even in the midst of our challenges and grief, guess what? Abundant faithfulness of God. And even in the midst of suffering, so many of us here have yet experienced faithfulness that is abundant. Glory to God. And he sends his spirit to strengthen you when you're weak. He refreshes you when you're parched and exhausted. He gives us peace by restoring our relationship with himself through the finished work of Jesus. And that brings us peace for living day by day as well. And and so Samson has now experienced, despite it all, God's faithful abundance, right? And, And we see him at the end of chapter 15 at his best. He's trusting in God. He's got the secret to successful living now. God's getting through to this guy's very thick skull. Finally, he's got the secret to stay on the straight and narrow and to walk joyfully along the river of life all the way into heaven one day. You can, you can imagine him saying, uh, he's got it all figured out now. Oh God, it's about you. It's not about me. I've been so selfish, but it's about you. Use me. I'm dependent on you. I'm not going to be stubborn anymore. I'm not going to disobey. I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow. I'll depend on you all my days. Yes, God. But we know from our text this morning, it's no. No. Secondly, this morning, Samson still doesn't get it. You'd think... And we'd think that this would have been a great turning point after that water of refreshment, calling out on God for like the first time in his life that we read of. Uh, But but our little episode today shows this is not going to be the case for this guy, this man who's so strong physically, but obviously a spiritual lightweight. He's going to the city of Gaza, which was one of the Philistines' main cities, uh, the one farthest away, in fact, from where God's people live, the farthest south. And, and so what we see in these little verses is Samson hanging out deeper than ever into, in Philistine territory. He's more enwrapped in the world than ever before, and he was always messing around with the world, but deeper in it than ever before. He's still attracted to unbelieving women, but it's worse this time. He, doesn't even, he won't even have the decency to marry this woman he likes. He just goes to a prostitute. And he's more reckless than ever before. He's going into the middle of a heavily fortified city. He's in a compromised position with this prostitute, knowing that the enemy is out to get him. Deeper than ever in the world, a worse womanizer than ever before, more reckless than ever. 
What a pathetic, pitiful judge Samson is. And, and, and what a pathetic, pitiful child of God, period. So much disobedience, so much selfishness. But, but God, you know, still saves him just before this, comes in, has revealed his faithfulness. Um, one person says that the fact that Samson is so disobedient, he's so bad so many times, and the Bible makes so little comment on it, that in itself is a tremendous sign of God's grace. Well, why doesn't the Bible remark every time, like, this was bad, this was bad? Well, it shows us that God is so gracious for us as sinners. And, and thankfully, that's the case because we're just like Samson, Right? We can be very pitiful and pathetic in our Christian lives. I will be the first to say that I can be. Even after all that God has done for us, after he's shown us just how abundant his faithfulness and his grace is, yet we can dive deeper into sin than ever before. We can forget to put our trust in him, and we can live these small, worried, fretful little lives, and we're way too often lightweights in the realm of faith ourselves. He shows us his power, and we immediately go back to trying to depend on our weak, small selves. He refreshes us, supplies all our needs to overflowing and we turn around and look for satisfaction in our lives from everything and everywhere around us but from God. We know his peace, that we can have it with the Father in our lives, but still we get all unsettled and troubled in our minds about our lives, about this world, when we read the news, about the church God delivers us from our fear, and before you know it, we find ourselves afraid again. And, and I, I could not tell you for myself how many times this has happened. And I'm guessing it's something that you've experienced as well. And, and for me, that fear, that, that forgetfulness of God's faithfulness happened in... in sort of a, a notable way uh, uh, this past week again. And what, what I was doing a, like a week ago, let's say, earlier in the week, I was thinking ahead to all the work responsibilities I had this week, not just this week, but also in this coming week. Plus, uh, so that was in my mind, and I'm like, I don't see how this is going to get done. I just don't see it. So I was already planning, well, maybe I can not do this or, or not do that or skip this meeting or whatever. But beyond the work stuff, I had some extra family responsibilities. Um, Sarah and Hannah and Olivia were in Denver visiting family last weekend. Um, Sarah's older sister lives there, and these plane tickets... Um, were a special gift for Hannah's 16th birthday a few weeks ago. And we're like, we don't really have anything special. And then we, we thought of this, and then I knew I got it. Olivia had to go too. 
but they especially went to see our nephew play in a couple regional basketball games. He's a junior in high school. He's very good. I could spend five or ten minutes on that and his connection with Hannah. We call them the twins, um, but you can talk to me or Hannah or the girls afterwards. He's, he's very good. But the plan was for him to come home, them to come home at 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, okay? In three days. And I had all figured out I could handle this. My mom came in even for the first couple nights to help out, which was awesome. She had to leave on Saturday morning. And, uh, and I have to say, Sophia and Adriana were great. They were so helpful. Um, but then a snowstorm delayed their return home till Tuesday at 5 p.m. So we were doing really well. I was doing really well. But when that happened, on Tuesday morning, I hit a brick wall. The super busy and intense week plus the extra days was too much, and I was way overly stressed. I could not see how I was going to get everything done I was supposed to, Um, and I made a a mistake uh, that's very easy to make, but I kind of wonder if some of you maybe make this mistake too. I was thinking in my mind all at once of everything I needed to do. And we're not supposed to do that. That's not helpful. Instead, I needed to breathe deeply and take one thing at a time. Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. It's got enough troubles of its own. It's, in other words, it's too much for us to take that on to. Uh, we've got to give it over to him and be faithful today. One thing at a time. That's all our puny little human minds and abilities can handle. And as I stepped back and prayed and remembered, that's what I did. And and I got to the end of the week just fine. I was able to keep all of the appointments I had and feel good about it. In fact, the week went great. And that's how I plan to move forward in this week again. But for a time, I got overwhelmed. I, I totally forgot God's abundant faithfulness in my life. And I forgot about how he's seen me through worse weeks than this past week in the past in terms of busyness, in terms of stress, in terms of health stuff. He saw me through much worse than what I was facing. But I forget these things. I'm, I'm so weak. And again, maybe some of you have had similar experiences. What, and what we have to do ultimately is actually look to where our verses lead us. And it's especially in the third verse of those three. We're shown that God's promises will triumph over our spiritual dullness. So nevertheless, God's promises will triumph. And we saw that the Philistines, right, didn't go after him at night, but instead they're figuring that with the city gate closed at night, he's trapped. And they'll be able to get him in the morning. Plus, they're probably thinking, he's with a prostitute all night. He's going to be a little groggy. We'll catch him unawares. But Samson leaves in the middle of the night instead of 
waiting for morning. And God's spirit must have still been with him, unbelievably, because he was able to tear off that city gate. We read posts and all, lift it on his shoulders, and then he walked. Going to Hebron, we wouldn't know this without digging into it, but it's about a 40-mile walk, 40 miles. Um, And city gates in that time, from what I understand, so this was like the early Iron Age, um, and in that time, in that region, uh, they would have been at least two stories tall, maybe three, obviously built out of heavy wood to protect the city, and they often had like a thin metal layer protecting the wood too. And so this was incredible. This was a miracle. Um, So despite Samson's stubbornness and rebellion and his thick-headedness, God uses this miraculous feat to teach Samson, to teach God's people then, to teach us something. And you know what he's doing? He's pointing Samson and God's people to his covenant promises. And that would have been the reason to carry the gates all the way to Hebron instead of just leaving them outside of Gaza. Hebron was connected to God's promises to his Old Testament people, Israel. Hebron means place of the Hebrews. And there's a long time association of that town, that city, with God's covenant, with God's people, with God's promises. Back to the time of Abraham, who is the father of Israel, and the New Testament says, our father too, right? He's the father of all believers. Right by Hebron, God gave uh, a second time the promise of a son to Abraham and that he would bless his descendants. That's in Genesis 13, if you want to check it out. Later on, uh, faithful Caleb, Joshua and Caleb were the faithful spies that went into the land. Later on, Caleb was given this prized special city of Hebron as His inheritance when the people came into the land as a reward, as a blessing, we read, for the fact that he served the Lord wholeheartedly in his life uh, compared to others around him who weren't. So Hebron was known as a place where God not only said and made his promises, but also a place where God keeps and fulfills his promises. That's what would have been in people's minds with Hebron. So God's making very clear on the top of this hill that he has not forgotten his people. He's making very clear that despite everything, he can destroy his enemies' security. He could destroy his people's enemies and their security. That city gate, leaving it wide open to attack, and, and with that gate up on a hill, everyone around could see it. And he's saying, I will keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will still be your God, and you will still be my people. In Samson's day, we know that this security was temporary. 
But down uh, the road a, a little ways, uh, someone else would come on the scene carrying something on his shoulders up a hill. Uh, and maybe you've heard about this. Physically lighter than a city gate, perhaps, but spiritually, the cross that Jesus carried up to where he was crucified, that would have been a much heavier burden to bear because the cross signified all our sins and all the enemies of God and his people. Jesus carried the cross up Calvary's hill and was crucified there for all to see and to find hope in his defeat of Satan and hope in the fulfillment of his promise to save his people from their sins and to be a God to us and to our children after us. And so we encourage little trip, all our children, indeed all people, young and old, to look to that hill for security, to look to the cross to embrace all God's promises. They are yes and amen in Jesus. And that encouragement, that invitation that we get out, that's at the very heart of our purpose and our mission as a church here at Faith. And it's at the very center and heart of what each one of us is called to do in order to experience God's blessings in our lives, find our life's hope and security of all the different places that we sometimes go, find our life's hope and security in the cross of Jesus on Calvary, the mount where God makes and keeps his promises. And guess what? Jesus sends his spirit who fills us and empowers us to that wholehearted living for the Lord in everything we do, just like faithful Caleb. And, and that's the life of blessing that Samson seems to have missed. I said pitiful Samson, but it's really more poor Samson. And, and it, it, it's, it's really very sad. Uh, never overcoming his demons, as we say, and next time, next week, it's, it's going to get even worse. And as I think about that, um, there are those today we know, like Samson, born and raised in, in the covenant family, who just don't seem to be able to escape their demons. And they're just struggling. You know, there are, there are our kids and, and grandkids, our brother, our brothers, our siblings, and, and that's sad to miss that. And it's hard. And, and we pray. We pray. And, and I think then we have to appeal to God's promises uh, that, that he'll be faithful even uh, to, to the wandering ones, and, and, and call them home. So Samson seems to have missed the life of blessing. But you and I, we, we don't have to miss it, friends. As, as, as you, as I, look to Jesus, as you look up Mount Calvary at the cross, as you give up your trust and security and everything else, 
look to the cross where, where God fulfills, he keeps all his promises. So that's my invitation and encouragement uh, to you gathered here today, okay? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for this morning of worship to be uh, reminded of your promises in the sacrament and in your word here in Judges. Thank you for your gracious forgiveness, your abundant faithfulness, even when we're very dull, even when we don't get it, even though, oh God, we are all spiritual lightweights, uh, but yet you don't let us go. And you sent Jesus uh, so that all of your promises are yes and amen in him. A promise of, of hope and strength and power and refreshment and joy for living and even of abundant life now and eternal life forever. Oh, we thank you, oh God. Um, we don't claim that we can do any of this on our own. In fact, on the opposite of that, we give up ourselves and all that we are and just depend on you. We look to your cross. We cling to your cross as you, oh God, cling to us. In your name we pray. Amen.